0: Welcome back for episode 18 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Fifth Seal. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. We are now in Revelation chapter 6. The Lord is unsealing the book with seven seals. In our last episode, we discussed the first four seals and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Breck, what do we
1: see When the Lord breaks the fifth seal. When the Lord opens the fifth seal, uh, John has a view of the altar of the heavenly temple. Underneath the altar, he sees, uh, quote, souls that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Close quote, that's uh, chapter 6 verses 9 and 10.
0: So we're seeing the altar of sacrifice in the temple. And under the altar, we also see the spirits of the faithful church members who died
1: for their testimony. Why are they under the altar? Well, we have to look back at astronomy and and the sky that John saw. At the beginning of winter, a new constellation rises beneath the, uh, the tail of the constellation Scorpio. This is at the lowest point in the southern sky. Uh, gradually appears this new constellation. It's called Ara, which means the altar. Hmm. So if you think of the southern sky, dead of winter, a new constellation rises called the altar. It consists of a certain number of stars, but it looks kind of like a... You know, a rectangular shape, like a, like the altar of sacrifice in the temple. Now, the Jews believed that, that Hades, the world of the dead, lies at the South Pole. Did you know that?
0: No, I didn't know and, that.
1: And right under this constellation oh, wow. called Ara, the altar. So... Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Do you, do you begin to see why they're under the altar? Because yeah. they're dead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And the world of the dead is under the altar in the extreme southernmost point of the sky. The Greek word Hades, uh, Hades is a word that comes from the Greek, and it originally it translated simply as the unseen world. Mm. The, the word hades in Greek literally means unseen or unseeable. To us... Hades is a synonym for hell, but originally it didn't mean that. Originally it was in the ancient view of the afterlife. Uh, it was similar to our view of a spirit world, okay? It was the place where the spirits of the dead go. When we use the word Hades, we think, oh, that's hell. But to them, in that period of time, Hades meant uh, it's the place where spirits go, okay? all of them. Mm-hmm. Now, in the book of Job... He makes reference to um, those southern stars. He calls them the chambers of the south. And and the chambers of the south was a Hebrew metaphor for the storehouse of the dead. Oh, wow. So in Job chapter 9. So in those days, when somebody died, they would have said, um, he's gone to the chambers of the south. Okay, mm. Sort of like, um, he's gone to the other side. Mm-hmm or he's, he's six feet under. That, that's what they meant when they said he's gone to the chambers of the South. Now, there's a, a New Testament scholar named Jacques Chevalier. He's a Canadian scholar. He says that the constellation Ara, and this is a quote, is the mirror image of the altar of burnt offering in the earthly temple. You have to remember there's a heavenly temple and an earthly temple, mm-hmm. and they mirror each other. Okay. Okay. He says, quote, they join the themes of heavenly sacrifice, earthly martyrdom, and subterranean death. What we now call the Milky Way, galaxy, the galaxy we live in. What we call the Milky Way. Oh, this is an interesting little side note. You know what a galaxy is? Mm-hmm. What is it? It's a bunch of stars and planets. <laughs> yes, right. It's a bunch of stars that whirl around each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. The word galaxy Comes from the Greek word galactos, which meant milk. <laughs> okay. So the word galaxy simply means a milky place. Okay. A milky because place. When you milk look up at that, it, it looks like a stream of milk across the oh, sky. Right? Milky sky, so, yeah, okay. Anyway, what we call the Milky Way, as they saw it, okay, it kind of, it kind of goes from south to north, okay, across the sky, mm-hmm. and kind of a belt across the sky. And they looked at, the southernmost point, they said, the Milky Way comes from there. It rises like the smoke of the incense altar mm. from, from the temple across the sky. Okay. So they saw the the Milky Way as the smoke rising from a sacrificial altar towards the North Pole, and the the throne of God they thought was situated at the North end of the universe, okay? Okay, okay? The opposite, right? So here you have your opposites. Mm-hmm. Opposition in all things. The south was the place of the dead, uh, kind of the place of hopelessness. Um, but here goes the the incense from rising like prayers from the altar of the incense in the temple. All these prayers rising towards God. As they looked up, they saw the, the Milky Way was a, a symbol of that. Does that make sense to mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. it was like the cloud from the incense altar that symbolized the prayers of the saints and if you look in chapter uh, revelation chapter 8 verse 3 you'll see the angel with the incense in his hand and the cloud of incense rising from the altar have you ever seen milky way on a clear night mm-hmm. yeah i have it, it looks like a bright cloud right yeah it does We're running from south to north And in the same way, the smoke of the sacrifice in the temple rose into the sky. So for them, the Milky Way was the smoke of the sacrifice in the heavenly temple from the altar, which was at the southernmost point. Am I making sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so that's why the souls are under the altar. Because that's where the souls of the dead were said to to live. Mm -hmm. There's another connection. In the ancient temple, the priests would take the blood from the sacrifice, right? And what would they do with it? They would pour it into drains under the altar. And from there, it would flow down the hill into a brook called Kidron. It was said that this is where all the righteous blood shed upon the earth would flow. Ever since Cain shed the blood of righteous Abel, Uh, that's what... Jesus said, um, Matthew 23, uh, verse 25, he said, All the all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from Cain until this day flows from the altar.
0: So is there a connection to the Kidron
1: Valley in Jerusalem? Yeah. All this sacrificial blood would be carried down the hill into the stream called Kidron. Okay. It's interesting to me to know that that's where the Garden of Gethsemane was.
0: That's exactly why I'm... Right next, right next,
1: right next to, to the Garden Kidron. of Kidron. It's yeah. at the low point in the. Yes,
0: because I've been there, and I yeah. and I remember the Kidron Valley, and <clears throat> I've been in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm like, something's up here that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow.
1: So the blood from the temple sacrifice would float down to where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Wow. Isn't that cool? That is okay. super
0: cool. Because I've because I've been there, I can really I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Right. That's
1: so cool. Yeah. So all this sacrificial blood only symbolizes the blood of Christ. Right. Uh, which would be shed for everyone who repents. And at Gethsemane, where the Lord shed his blood to atone for our sins, is right next to the Kidron stream. And I think that's significant. That is super significant. So the altar of the temple symbolized the Savior's sacrifice and his tomb. Okay. The altar... Equals the tomb. Now this is kind of interesting. It's another connection. Uh, by the way, uh, some some early Christians used the tombs of the martyrs as their sacrament tables. Oh, wow! Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Jews, if you're a Jew, to be buried under the altar or near it brings forgiveness of sins and admission to paradise. Mm. For Jewish, Jewish scholars say that, quote, anyone who is buried under the altar, it is as if he were buried under the throne of glory, close quote. Um, eventually, this blessing extended to burial anywhere near the temple. So from the temple site out towards the east in particular. Uh, Which I've seen.
0: Yeah. I've seen that as well. And you, there's, you've there's, seen that. There's massive graves. Massive,
1: massive cemetery. Massive right? seminary. Um, well, I mean
0: seminary. Massive c- Cemetery. cemetery. Yeah.
1: Cemetery and seminary are not the same, although they can be sometimes. Even today, many Jews bury their dead there. Even yeah. today yeah, on I know. the Mount of Olives uh, facing the Temple Mount. Yeah. I've and seen that. I know exactly what you're talking about. It is a giant cemetery. It is huge. And the idea is that they will be the first to greet the Messiah, right, on the morning of the resurrection. Oh, that's so cool. So,
0: So the scriptures say here, they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord? Holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth?
1: Yeah, why do they say that? Um, Well, the spirits of the righteous dead are calling for the atonement, right? Uh, Which is the triumph of the justice of God as well as the mercy of God, okay? So somebody has to pay the price for all these wrongs ever committed Mm -hmm. by you, by me, by everybody, okay? Um, the atonement of Christ pays that debt, providing mercy for the repentant and justice for the unrepentant. Remember, that under the terms of the ketubah, remember the ketubah, yeah, the, the, marriage the marriage contract? contract yeah. It is the bridegroom's responsibility to redeem or pay for anything the bride has done wrong. Uh, any of the bride's debts become the bridegroom's responsibility. He's the one who pays. Well, the bridegroom is Christ. And the church is the bride. And that's what the scripture
0: means. Yeah, that's fascinating. The spirit of the dead
1: want to know how long they have to remain in the spirit world. Well, yeah, they do want to know how long. They, they keep saying, how long is this going to go on? <laughs> right. Yeah, it seems, yeah. So the righteous dead under the altar don't want to stay there. Right, in mm-hmm. the spirit world. They're impatient for the resurrection. Remember, the Doctrine and Covenants says, um, let's see here, the dead look upon the long absence of their spirits from their bodies as a bondage. That's, uh, Doctrine and Covenants 138. Those spirits have a mission to take care of. In verse 11 and 23, we find out something about them, about these dead who were under the altar, the righteous dead. It says, white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest, yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So they have a job to do. Um, The white robes signify that they have a new calling as priests and priestesses quote, fellow servants, okay? To help redeem the spirits of the dead, to help redeem the others. Mm -hmm. They will remain in the spirit world until that work is done, okay?
0: Right, right. So the righteous spirits are being called to teach in the spirit world.
1: Yes. Now, we know that Jesus entered the spirit world before he was resurrected, right? In in that three-day period between his death and resurrection he entered the spirit world to organize missionary work among the spirits. Right. That's uh, section 138. Uh, the, the Canadian scholar Chevalier, remember, he is not LDS. Okay, right, but right. He's a very, very, acu- very acute scholar, he says. He points out that winter brings, quote, the darker period of the year where the sun's descent into Hades, a journey preceding the resurrection of the Lamb in the spring. And this is really interesting. Very much. Yeah. Because Chevalier is saying, okay, here, it's winter. This is kind of confusing because in English, the word sun, the sun in the sky, is homonymous with the word sun, S-O-N, <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Okay, mm-hmm. so don't get confused here. Mm-hmm. He's saying, but he's saying there's a, there's a relationship here because the sun in the sky becomes at the winter solstice, Right. The sun in the sky reaches the lowest point in the south, mm-hmm. which is the realm of? The dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to John, that symbolized, here is Christ entering the world of the dead. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the dead of winter. The sun sets in the extreme south on what day? Every year. The 21st of... December, December, yeah. December, the, yeah. The, the, the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Which is the... Um, the shortest day of the year and yep. the longest night of the year, yeah, right? yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. so that all symbolized the sun is going into the world of the dead, okay, well, so did the sun s o n go into the world of the dead to start the work of redemption,
0: oh yeah,
1: okay, which, which has to end before the springtime of resurrection, see, mm. okay, one of the most interesting things I know you've probably been, you've been in an orthodox church building I have. In in the in almost every Eastern Orthodox church, you'll see an icon. It's a painting representing uh, Jesus surrounded by stars and standing on a cross, which is formed by the broken gates of hell. It's he's literally standing on broken doors, mm-hmm. which could not prevail against him. Right, Matthew mm-hmm. sixteen that. I will build my church, in; the gates of hell Hell shall not not prevail. prevail Jesus holds out his hand, and he lifts Adam and Eve and their posterity from a sarcophagus that looks exactly like an altar, not by the hand, but by the wrist. It is his power that saves them. They don't grasp his hand. He grasps them by the wrist and pulls them out of Hades. And around him, in this painting, lie a bunch of shattered locks and chains. He's he's broken all of that, mm. and he frees them from the locks and chains of Hades. Now notice that the ketuba requires that the ketubah requires that the bridegroom breaks all the debts. Right, he pays redeems, the, pays the debt, he pays right. the debt, yeah. he redeems the the bride. So here, uh, Jesus Christ redeems the dead. And that's why we call him the Redeemer, because he breaks all the locks and pays all the debts and wow. releases the prisoners. From underneath the altar, according to, D- to D&C 138, he gathers an innumerable company of spirits of the just to preach the gospel to other spirits. And these righteous spirits are the martyrs under the altar. Okay, These are the righteous who live in the world of the dead. Um, today, we think of a martyr... As somebody who dies for his faith, right? But in the first century, it didn't mean that. Martyr is the Greek word for a witness, mm. for any witness, for somebody who testifies to what he has seen. Mm. That—that's—that's that's what a martyr was.
0: Mm.
1: A martyr was not somebody who died for their faith, but. Well, a martyr could be dead, okay? Mm-hmm. But a marcher, um, was a witness, any witness of anything. So if you saw somebody get, if you saw an accident, for example, you would be called a martyr, a witness. They'd, they'd bring you up on the witness stand. They'd say, okay, martis, um, tell us what you saw. It didn't mean that you were killed in the accident. <laughs> right. It meant that you saw it, okay? Right. okay. Um, and you could tell
0: people what happened. So martyrs under the altar are witnesses for Christ.
1: Exactly. That's, that's really what the word martyr meant. They, they work among the other spirits in the spirit world, and they preach the gospel, and they testify of Christ. That's why they're called martyrs, because mm. they are witnesses for Christ. Right. That's what they do right. in the spirit world. Most of us think of a martyr as somebody, oh, he died for the faith. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, and we speak of, say, the prophet Joseph and Hiram as martyrs. Mm-hmm which is perfectly um, appropriate. But what we're really saying is not that they died for the faith, but that they are witnesses. Mm, okay. Makes sense. Who, who, um, whose blood uh, sealed their testimony. There is a, a great, great scholar, uh, French French theologian named Jacques Ellul. He's not LDS, but I think he's inspired. And this is what he says, quote, these witnesses, meaning the martyrs under the, the altar, have experienced the truth and the lies of this world. They know about Satan's lies. And having, quote, continued in the word, they are Christ's disciples indeed. Their witness is irrefutable. They have made the journey. While everything in this world is in doubt, their testimony in that world is not. The witness is not a participant in a debate. He doesn't debate. He knows. He furnishes knowledge as a fact. Mm. That's what Elul says. I really like reading him. Okay. Um, Dr. 138 138.30 tells us that Jesus went among the righteous spirits, organized his forces, and appointed messengers clothed with power and authority. That's the white robe. Okay. And commissioned them to go forth and carry the light of the gospel to them that were in darkness, even to all the spirits of men, and thus was the gospel preached to the dead. They will continue to teach and do missionary work among the dead until, as John says in verse 11, the last of us dies, okay, until the end. Yeah. Now, so that's what the martyrs are doing under the altar. That's what they're doing in the spirit world, and that's crucially important to understand what's going on in Revelation chapter 6. So that's what the marchers are doing in the spirit world. And that's crucially important to understand what's going on in Revelation 6, which is otherwise incomprehensible. Um, the marchers under the altar, what are they doing there? Yeah. And, and that's what they're doing when the Lord opens the fifth seal. Breck, can I can
0: I share a story that happened to me on my mission? Yes. So... Um, You know, I was older when I went on my mission. I graduated from college, and instead of trying to play in the um, professional football, I decided to go on a mission. didn't have a lot of the kind of support that regular LDS folks had, but some good members of my ward supported me, and I went out on my mission. And as I started teaching the plan of salvation to people and the gospel of Jesus Christ, I I became deeply troubled (laughs) because of the way I grew up in chaos, and and, and the people that were the adults in my life, you know, didn't make the best decisions, and made a lot of mistakes, and really exposed me to a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse. And my stepfather, Leroy, who I loved and appreciated, um, he made a lot of mistakes, and he was very abusive to me. And on my mission, I I, I, I could gain no comfort in this because I felt like he was going to pay a terrible price. And He had had passed away when I was a senior in high school, and I I missed him and uh, was just really concerned about his soul. In my prayers, um, I would say, I would ask Father in Heaven for for him for Leroy to be able to see the work that I was doing, and for it to testify to him of the divinity of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ and the truthfulness of the gospel. And one evening, um, I, I I leaned by my you know I knelt knelt by my bedside and, and I offered up a prayer. And um, the next thing I knew, um, I had lost consciousness and I was in a in a dark room. And there was a table with two chairs in this dark room, and then all of a sudden, the door opened, and the door was full of light. And in comes walking in my dad, my stepdad, Leroy Bracken, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, he comes in, he has a smile on his face, he's like, "Hey Sam, what's up?" And I'm like, "Dad, what are you doing?" He's like, "Well, I'm just hanging out," and he sits down, and um, and I said, "Well, let me tell you what I've been doing," and uh, and I tell him. Um, what I've been doing, I'm testifying of Christ and, he, and he's really fascinated and he's interested, <laughs> which we, he never was interested in mortality. I'm telling you, <laughs> he just thought everybody was crazy. <laughs> and, um, and I, I, give him the first three missionary lessons, right? Uh, the plan of salvation, the divinity of Christ, and you know, all these kinds of things. And he was completely excited and fascinated by it. And, um, and then he's like, okay, that's awesome. And then it gets up He walks out, shuts the door, (laughs) and I'm like, and then all of a sudden, I'm back on my knees by my bedside, and it's five a.m. in the morning. (laughs) I'm like, what just happened there? You know, I was like completely freaked out. I'm like, oh my gosh! So, and I'm, 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 I don't know if it's a dream or like I don't, I don't know what it is, or it's just some kind of weird thing, or in the in the drinking water. So I have no idea. So the, the next zone conference, I, I meet with my mission president, President Hardy, and I feel inspired to share the story with him. And he's like oh that's interesting elder bracken and then i shake his hand and i leave i go to leave and as i go to leave i'm getting in the car taking a bunch of our missionaries back to our zone and a missionary comes running out of the chapel elder bracken elder bracken president hardy wants to see you and and i'm like okay so i go back into president hardy's office and i'm like well i think i i don't think i have any serious sins to confess or whatever (laughs) he brings me back in and 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 he's sitting in his chair and he has tears in his eyes and he says to me, Elder Bracken, I want you to know the story you told me was um, was true. It happened to you. And he goes, I believe that you had the sacred opportunity to enter the spirit world and teach your stepdad the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes, that doesn't happen very often. And he goes, if you could do me a favor and keep both feet in this part of the this part of mortality, and not in the spiritual world. I'd really appreciate it. And he goes, "But thank you for sharing such a secret thing." And and I left and and uh, just remembered that as we talked today. So thanks for kicking
1: up that memory for me. I hope it made sense. Well, that's a that's a remarkable story, and I feel also that it was a real experience where you had the opportunity to be one of those who teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. On both sides. and um, I had an apocalyptic experience. (laughs) You did. (laughs) The veil was opened for you. You had an apocalyptic experience, a veil opening experience. And that's what's going on under the fifth seal. So in our next episode, we will find out what happens when the Lord opens the sixth seal, which is the second to the last seal.
0: I'm excited about that.